0: This is a GRDC podcast. These days, everyone is thinking more about the future. Their own personal future, of course, but also where the world is going. G'day, I'm Chris Brown. It's great that there are people out there who are deep thinkers and who pose themselves some quite serious questions. One of those people is Professor Tim Reeves, who is professor in residence at the Dukey campus of the University of Melbourne, and who recently delivered the Farrah Memorial Oration. I caught up with Tim in Wagga Wagga, where we talked about his view of where agriculture is right now and the challenges it will be facing in 30 years from now. Look,
1: I say this regularly, so it's not hard for me to say it. I think that... Global food and nutritional security is the greatest challenge that humankind faces in the coming decades. We have to produce more food for a a global population that's still growing at about 150, 160 people per minute. They don't all have to have cars or TVs or whatever. They They all all have have to to eat. eat. Their diets are changing. We're seeing strong shifts in Asia to have more meat in diets for example. We're seeing in our Australian media meat-free Mondays people are really thinking about what they're eating so more people more food changing diets but to produce that food globally we've got less land to do it. Urbanization, degradation, highways, dams etc. We've got a microcosm of it here in Australia. Less land and less water that's the big one isn't it? Water is a huge issue. More than 70% of global fresh water withdrawals are used for agriculture. So if we're talking about feeding this growing population and a doubling of global food production by let 2060, 2065 whatever that may be, certainly isn't going to be with business as usual. You're not going to be using twice as much water it just isn't there. And then the umbrella over this or the or the environment in which we've got to deal with it is in an era of climate change and what people are now calling the multiplier effects of climate change the climate change per se self the warming etc but it's how that exacerbates the water issues how that exacerbates temperature issues how that exacerbates the diversity of our systems now, you talk about
0: sustainable intensification of agriculture. And clearly, you've talked about intensification and need to grow more food to feed the, the growing population. But how do you do that sustainably?
1: Yeah, and that's the real question. So you know, we've clearly got to, to produce more. So we've uh, we've got to have productivity increasing and associated profitability, but at the same time, you know, we have to have improvements in our ecosystem health in and natural resources, our soils, our water, etc. And right at the moment, I don't think that's happening. I think we're doing really you know pretty well on the productivity side and the short-term profitability side, but at the expense of our natural resources. We're seeing in Australia substantial declines in soil nitrogen, soil carbon, in our intensive cropping systems. We're seeing the prevalence of herbicide resistant weeds, We're at such a stage now that the management of the herbicides is almost in some cases superseding the optimum farming systems that you might want to adopt mm. because the climate has changed or because the market has changed. And so, sustainable intensification is how can we do these things at once and it combines some practices that in a sense we're familiar with, that conservation agriculture, healthier soils, integrated pest management.
0: Yeah, all the answers seem to be there, don't they? But it's putting it all together into a system and being consistent about it, I suppose.
1: Yes, so each one of those components will give some sort of return, but but what we have seen and you can either put it as the the whole being greater than the sum of the parts or as John Kirkegaard from CSIRO has called it incremental transformation. It's when you put these things together that you see the major yeah. shift.
0: Yeah. So and there's no low hanging fruit. Just to be clear about that, there's uh, all the low hanging fruit is gone, isn't it?
1: The low hanging fruit is gone, and so the question is how. And this is the question that growers put to me at all of the meetings I speak at, and I speak at a lot of meetings, is. I know that we have to do that. That all makes really sense. How can I do it and remain profitable? The big question is the it? big question. So that's why I'm saying with sustainable intensification, it is the scientific pathway to more regenerative agricultural practices where we're actually starting to build our natural resources again.
0: Yeah, how do you answer those farmers though? What do you say to them? Um, I say
1: this is going to differ from farm to farm, farmer to farmer and paddock to paddock. Sure. Um, In an ideal world, we actually, most of us, could just sit round and decide at least what the bones of that more sustainable farm would look like. It would have a mix of crops and a mix within that. It would have a mix of crops and livestock, the forages would be a mix of short purpose annuals and deeper rooted perennials and we would have shrubs, trees, native grasses integrated into those systems. You know, There's not a lot of debate about that in terms of that would be a more sustainable, still profitable farm which would have much less climate risk exposure and much less financial risk exposure than an intensive cropping system. But that may not suit every farm. Absolutely. Yeah. And so how do you get from where you are now to there? So in a sense, it's not low hanging fruit, but the obvious thing that is standing out about our current systems is a lack of diversity. So you can be having a wheat, corn or wheat, there may be a little bit of barley in there, etc. But you know, there's rarely a pulse in there, a legume in there. And so adding legumes into the system I think is absolutely critical. When you're looking at wheat varieties we need to be having a mix of varieties you know a lot of uh, bigger growers now are saying well don't want to fiddle around just grow one variety but In terms of risk management, that does not make sense. When you say different varieties for different agronomic purposes? Absolutely. So you've got different durations, different seasons there. If, for example, you've also got livestock and you're grazing them, you're grazing in different regimes, so you've got them at different growth stages. If you get that uh, catastrophic event, frost or heat, etc., not everything's at the same stage. You've actually diversified even within your wheat. And then you're diversifying, Okay, we've got barley in there and we've got canola in there. Is there room, you know, for oats back in there or triticale back in there? Some diversification within still an intensive cropping system but particularly with more legumes in there. And what the research that GRDC and others have invested in has shown, you have to look at about a six to seven year period, to see the financial benefits and advantage of having a legume in the system. It's
0: interesting you say that, is, is it from your experience that farmers actually plan that far ahead that their system allows them to sort of say okay year one I'm doing this, year six
1: I'm doing something else? Many certainly do and it's the sort of thinking that needs to come around if you're planning on annual gross margins of course canola is you know generally going to come out as the most profitable crop wheat the next one and everything else sure a distant third or or fourth or or whatever it is but at what expense and what the expense has clearly been shown by again by GRDC work that Jeff Baldock and others have done is that yes those annual profitabilities are there but we're just looking at a hockey stick reverse, you know, hockey stick curve of declines in soil carbon, declines in soil nitrogen. So to put the nitrogen back in the system, you're using more fertilizer nitrogen, and that imposes a greater risk when you've got climatic variability. So your financial risk has gone up. And so from a more mixed system, crops, livestock, etc. I've got consultants telling me that EBIT margins—they're looking at 60, 70. You know, in other words, you're spending 60 or 70 dollars to make 20, a, a hundred. Yeah. They're now up with the intensive cropping at around 90. Yeah, yeah. And so you're spending 90 to make ten. Well, yeah. in a riskier climatic environment that doesn't make sense. Hence, we've got to a turning point where significant change is required.
0: Right. Costs were an issue that you also raised. Obviously, costs are, are huge. It seems to me that taking a, an integrated approach in terms of your pest and disease management, your weed management, that has to have a, a positive effect on lowering your costs.
1: Yes, absolutely. So you'll get some saying, it's you know, we have to be all organic, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that, This is not what sustainable intensification is about, The whole range is. It's about the greater integrated use of inputs, the more judicious use of pesticides, because you've got other non-chemical, you've got rotations, you've got crop sequences, and you're combining these so that you can have a more flexible system rather than, as I said about the grower, who says, I can't change my rotation because I have to get this herbicide in that paddock that year, otherwise things gone. That is a burning platform. That tells you things have got to change.
0: Just to wind up, here's a left-field question for you. You mentioned earlier uh, Meat Free Fridays, and uh, of course we've now got hamburger meat that's not meat at all. In the era of digital disruption, is there any equivalent for farmers that they need to sort of be
1: really mindful of? I think that there's two things. One is that the rate of progress of some of these things, for example, plant-based hamburgers or non-meat hamburgers, the rate of progress is huge. I mean, mm. so it was the biggest seller for Burger King in Philadelphia in the US, their biggest seller. You'd never dream of those things. The production of protein using black soldier fly larvae, you know, is being commercialized right now in Australia. These are things that, you would talk about it in a lecture as something interesting. So the rate of change, it all sounds a little bit high flying now. But A, real-time measurements in the soil, yeah, with you not having to dig into it, you're just scanning into it, you know, we need those things. It's in the mining technology, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. They can detect deposits down at a kilometer. You know, why can't we have real-time monitoring of soil, mineral, nitrogen, which will help our nitrogen management? Biopolymers we're looking at those reducing evaporation from soils and those sorts of things. Well, maybe there's something you spray on the whole crop and it actually stops it getting frosted or it reduces heat stress. Maybe a shorter term around frost problem, you've got a fleet of major drones that, you know, even if you're cropping 10,000, let's say hectares even, You've got enough big drones with fans on, you just launch them. <laughs> it's not out of it, And they go. It's everything, not out of the Everything, you know, they all sound, wow, what's this guy uh, been doing, etc. But, you know, 15 years ago, smartphones... They didn't you know, exist. They didn't exist, and yeah. now we do everything on them. Mm. So I believe there's some huge breakthroughs out there, but they might come out of materials technology or they might come out of communications technology, and there's a little slide i use about it says you know so tim gets a warning on his you know his iphone 36 that his drones have detected an outbreak of yellow rust in the paddock so he programs his drone sprayer which is knows everywhere around the farm the way to go and it sprays it with rna which actually suppresses the pathogenic effects of the organism and the problem is solved and, uh, and Tim goes off to the football. So we thought those things were very futuristic. I'm thinking many of these things before 2030.
0: And who could argue with him? Professor Tim Reeves, the professor in residence at the Dookie campus of the University of Melbourne. My name is Chris Brown.